So, 007. Lots to be done. Are you ready to get back to work? With pleasure, M. With pleasure. Hello and welcome to this particular episode of our podcast. This time we're not talking about history. So if you've come here for a, a history episode, you're, you're onto a loser. We are instead going to be talking about film studies. And this is a particularly special little episode because we're being joined by an outside expert. I don't quite know how to introduce him, so I'll simply say that he's the host of the excellent Smirshpod podcast, which started by analysing all of the Bond films. He's the author of Thunderbook, a fantastic guide to the Bond phenomenon, film by film. And he's a very intelligent and charming man most of the time. (laughs) Uh, So, hello, Mr. John Rain. Hello. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for coming along and helping us out here. So... Obviously, for GCSE film studies, we talk about Skyfall. Right. Um, but Skyfall doesn't really stand on its own because it's the 50th anniversary film. Mm. So, I mean, 50 years, that's that's a good run for a franchise. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it is. It's, it's probably out on its own in that in that front. Although the Fast and the Furious films may join it <laughs> one day. <True. laughs> Um, but uh, yeah, it's 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 a it's a real outlier in that respect. There's not many other franchises. Maybe Star Trek and Star Wars getting there now, but mm. in, as, as in one consistent thread, it's yeah. quite impressive and interesting. But what is it you think makes Bond last? What 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 makes Bond special? <sighs> it's difficult to explain. I've been asked this a lot, but I would say that it's the <clears throat> initially it was the sense that it was almost like uh, wish you were here with a pistol. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, in the sense that it was someone going abroad and going to fantastic sights and sounds in far-flung places that in those days people weren't able to just jump on an easy jet and go and have a mm. look at. Mm. I think that was something that really clung to people's imaginations. There was also the fact that he was effectively, or is effectively, a superhero yeah. um, and can do everything, fly everything, sail everything, shoot everything. Um that's something that appeals to a lot of people. It's one of those annoying cliches, I think, where it's like, you know, men want to be him, women want to be with him. Yeah. And I think the fact that they have this curtain or blanket of, um, what's the word, glamour, mm-hmm. uh, even then, even when it's like Roger Moore dropping a disabled man down a chimney, it still <laughs> feels glamorous in some yeah. respects because of the way he does it. Yeah. Um, so I just think it's got that sheen all over it that makes it stand out, and it's got an, an air, you know, air of class. Mm. It's certainly a British institution and something that, even though it was produced by um, North Americans, they were very keen because of the source material to make it make sure it remained British. And I think that's something not flag waving. I just think that's something that's interesting about the franchise itself. They could, they could very easily at one point have just gone, "He's American now." Mm. And he lives in Miami. But no, they've, they've kept that aesthetic. And I, I just think it's something that is embedded in the DNA of a man of a, a, a per, not a man, a person of a certain age, mm. because we were all brought up on it. it was, every bank holiday and Christmas, there was a bond on. Well, we, had a, we had an interesting conversation about this in um, the little prep room next to the classroom that I teach my year nines in. Uh-huh. And it, there was sort of like maybe four male staff and three female staff and we, mm. were, we were talking about you know who who wants bond because i was about to go and teach a lesson mm. and it was a there was a there was a strong gender split but weirdly mm. the female staff who liked bond liked it a lot mm. do you do you think um that the the aspirational sort of thing that the, the glamour trappings the casinos the cars the yachts mm. Mm. do you do you think they're vital to Bond? Could you could it survive if you took that away? I think, in effect, they have. Because there's not a great deal of that in films like Skyfall or Casino Royale or even Quantum of Solace. It's very down and dirty. Mm-hmm. Um, but then <clears throat> it is an important part of the character, as per the novels. But now mm. they're so far out from the novels, 
I'm guessing it doesn't matter anymore. But then again, when people watch a bit a Bond film, that is kind of what they expect. So mm. I wonder if they'll sort of gravitate back to that at some point. Well, I mean, you still get it, don't you? Because obviously, Casino Royale is there's the high stakes poker game, there's mm. the yacht in Skyfall. So the, the the trace elements are still there. Yeah, yeah, but they're not the be all and end all that they once were. No, no, it wasn't about having the right tie. Because even in Casino Royale, <laughs> if you remember, she she changes his suit because it was. Yeah not the right appropriate one mm. uh, because he's supposed to be learning on the job in that respect yeah um but in the older films you know for instance in from russia with love the reason he spots red grant as a spy is because he orders the wrong yeah. wine with his meal yeah that's something that would probably stick out a bit now mm-hmm. um whereas in the old days that was essential to the character do you think that's part of the the change in british culture do you think the the, the social class thing matters less with bond as it matters less in Britain in general? Yes, I do. I think that's, I think that's exactly what it is. I think we've moved on so much as a society in terms of the class system. If there was a cycle we went through, particularly in the 80s and, and 90s, uh, in comedy in particular, whereas it were, if you were from um, the upper classes, you were derided, whereas previously mm. you were celebrated. And I think Bond... It, Bond is. I've always said that Bond is a reflection of culture itself. It's... Uh, yeah. It's a mirror to it. So <clears throat> the class thing isn't as important now as it was. But it's still there, like you say. It, there's, it's still there in flashes. And if you, particularly if you look at Bond's backstory, he, well, he wasn't exactly Oliver Twist. Um, <laughs> so well, no, because obviously we see the house, don't we? In, exactly, um, in Skyfall. In Skyfall. Which is called Skyfall. Indeed. Mm. It's um, Spoiler I- alert. <laughs> I'll tell you what, if, if the students haven't watched this by this point, it's a bad lookout. Yeah, you're um, going to have to write a hundred times on the blackboard, why did M go to Skyfall? Because <laughs> she was kidnapped, which is yeah. a, a bit a bit dodgy. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about the sexual politics, if you've yeah. got a moment. Mm. So, they keep trying to update the sexual politics of Bond. Mm-hmm. Mm. And they just keep bouncing off it, don't they? Yeah. Do you, Do you think that's baked in? Do you think that's the DNA that they can't ever get away from that? I do. I think Bond always has to get the girl. But then again, as you say, they are trying to get away from it. Because if you think, particularly historically, a film like The Living Daylights, which came out in the height of the AIDS epidemic, mm-hmm. in that he's essentially a one-woman man, if mm-hmm. you don't count the woman at the beginning. Yeah. Um, but now we have this whole... Um, backstory that's carrying on through the arc of Craig's films in which he is haunted by the loss of his one love mm-hmm. and if you remember in, in Quantum of Solace he doesn't actually end up with any woman at all No. and in Skyfall it's questionable what he does um, yeah. and Inspector in fact um, but yeah it's certainly not what it used to be where no. every scene there's a different woman in his bed certainly but it certainly seems to have become codified into the Bond girl he'll end up with and the disposable Bond girl who will get killed. Yeah. There's always something uh, up front about how, um, you know, I'm I'm not... The, act, the actor in question will usually have to say something like, you know, I'm not a typical Bond girl, mm. I'm this, that and the other. But when you actually watch the finished project, you're like, mm, you kind of are. Yeah. Yeah. One of the interesting things we had a look at was what they do with Eve, who obviously turns out to be Money Penny. Spoiler yeah. alert! Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I'm going to want to talk to you, I think, a little bit about why you feel that in Skyfall they felt they had to put that unit back together with the office yeah. and everything. Yeah, yeah. But they they make such a big deal of setting Eve up as a a, a sort of go-getting, organised woman, and then. Mm. St- end up with a basically saying no i'm rubbish at field work and sitting behind a desk yeah that is disappointing but then they they sort of try and undo that a bit inspector don't they yeah and they, make they, a, they try and they try and sort of make this gang in, yeah. a, in effect that um i don't think particularly works as a dynamic um oh, i quite put, like it do you, uh, I, you put, <clears throat> yeah i was just gonna, I'm, I'm a big fan of ray fines I, yeah, I, I, yeah so i Anything that gives him the opportunity to have fun, hmm. which is sort of Harry Potter and this, where yeah. he's purely just doing it to have a laugh, hmm. I think works well. And I, I kind of like the idea of the ensemble around Bond. Uh, I, I, I don't mind it so much, but I think, Inspector, it's used too much. Hmm. Uh, there's been a tradition in Bond, or not a tradition, a, a trend in Bond since... 
uh, the world is not enough onwards mm. if you go back and look at them film study students um, you'll find that M's part gets bigger and bigger and bigger yeah. uh, to the point where Inspector he gets his own confrontation with a baddie mm. yes. which I don't yeah. like because and again this is just me being a, a purist and a, fun, a, a traditionalist but you nearly I said like, fundamentalist there I didn't did. you I nearly <laughs> said fundamentalist which is not far from the truth um <laughs> Uh, M is usually a bookend. You see him mm. at the beginning, you see him at the end, or sometimes in the middle. Um, and so the fact that M, and I love Ray Fiennes' M, don't get me wrong, and I was very a big fan of Judy Dench's M as well, mm. um, when used correctly. Um, but I just don't like that M is now sort of 20% of the film. So speaking of, of, of tradition then, how much mm. do you feel that Spectre is a, a set of putting the toys back in the box after the reboot of Casino Royale. Do you know what I mean? I do know what you mean, yeah, because it's been a slow process, hasn't it? Because Quantum Mm. of Solace was effectively a sequel to Casino Royale. Yeah. And then Skyfall is we're starting again. And in effect, if you watch it with through the eyes of um, the franchise in itself, when you watch Skyfall, you'd easily think, well, you'd easily be fooled into thinking, actually, I don't think this is carrying on with the reboot. I think this is Mm. kind of saying we're in a normal Bond film now. Because yeah. it, otherwise the plot in that of Bond being feeling like an old ship being taken yeah. out uh, and recommi- uh, decommissioned uh, doesn't make sense when he's only three films in. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he's got the Aston Martin with the ejector seat, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Um, but in, yeah, sorry, when you get to Spectre and they've put the toys back in place, as you rightly said, they also want their cake and eat it because they want everybody in the office from the yeah. old Bond films to suddenly uh, be part of the action, which I don't like. Uh, Q, I don't mind so much because that's a kind of traditional thing that Q will turn up in the field. That's mm-hmm. been there since um, from Russia with Love and Thunderball particularly. Uh, but I don't want M running around with a pistol, really. No. That's Bond's job. Because if you think about it, particularly Inspector, when M's actually having the confrontation... Bond is running around an empty building trying to yeah. find a woman, and it just feels yeah. like that's a waste of what he does. Yeah. Um, I Just from a geekery point of view, um, oh. I adore the fact that the office that they put Mallory in is an absolutely note-perfect reproduction I of the Bernard Lee one. Yeah, I can't begin to tell you how over the moon I was <laughs> when he goes and finds a money penny at the end of Skyfall yeah. and then goes walks towards that double leather bound door yeah. I just thought bang we're back and even then they give you the gun barrel at the end which I, yeah. I, I hate that it's not at the front but then I don't mind because you get that Deakin's shot of the eye which is yeah. incredible um, and which again hmm. that entire opening sequence um, the, the very first shot is a visual echo of the gun barrel anyway yeah. With Daniel Craig stepping into the hallway. Yes. Um, I like the fact that the one change they've made from the Roger Moore era M's office to the one you see at the end of Skyfall and at the beginning of Spectre mm. is the painting. Yes. Uh, and the painting, of course, shows the Temeraire at the Battle of Trafalgar as opposed mm. to earlier in the film when we see it being hauled away for scrap. Yes. Which is an absolutely gorgeous touch. It's a great touch. Um, yeah, I love that. I love that there's a, there's still a there's still a care in the there's still, yeah. that's what you get. That's the beautiful thing you get with Eon being there from the year dot mm-hmm. is that there is care and attention. And I'm sure, and I'm sorry to say this, but inevitably one day it's going to get sold to someone like Disney yeah. or Netflix or someone. Well, from an um, institutional point of view, this is probably a good time to talk about it, really, mm-hmm. because Bond is weird. It's a family yeah. company that makes one movie, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, they've made a couple's, but yeah, essentially, one film family, yeah. And, that, I mean, you, you've looked at this a lot, so you're probably mm. in the best position to talk about it, but this mm. pandemic is really, because this is being recorded in January 2021, and the new mm. Bond, No Time to Die, has been delayed how many times now? Uh, this will be the third or fourth time? I can't keep up. Yeah. It was so, supposed to come out in April, now it's going to October the 8th. And obviously, because it's their one tentpole film, mm. they can't stream it. They need that box office to fund yeah. the next one. Mm-hmm. So do you think this is it? Do you think this could be the end of Eon? Oh, my God, I hope not. There's something deeply reassuring about Barbara Broccoli and Michael Wilson. Mm. 
and if they weren't in looking after it anymore because it's it showed signs that it's sort of going off the road uh, but I think they're there to sort of mainline it and keep it straight so if if this is the end of Eon there's no way I don't think there's any way that Bond will stop being made because mm. you, the, the results are there to see how much money it makes yeah uh, I, I think maybe <clears throat> if Eon stops you'll probably have a five six year gap where they're sort of wrangling over rights and sales and all sorts yeah and i think and then it'll start again and then i'm worried that it'll be a cookie cutter rather than something tailored well we've we've seen that before haven't we when mm. in reaction to the born film and mm-hmm. the mission impossible film quantum of solace which i detest wholeheartedly <laughs> Because simply from a technical point of view, I find some of the editing so choppy because they're trying to do the Bond oh. thing. You it's can't got the same. It. Yeah, it's got the same um, uh, assistant director as the Bond films mm. and stunt coordinator Dan Bradley. Um, so it's got that same uh, the camera. If you watch the frames, same in the Bond films. If you just keep, if you take a moment to look at the frames of your TV, mm. it's juddering. Mm-hmm. And I just find that it's like motion sickness. I can't concentrate yeah. what's happening. And you, you coupled with that, you get the fact that it was the writer's strike and the script is yeah. all over the place. So, yeah. The, the thing that technically and visually melts my brain hmm. is that Skyfall was made in 2012, hmm. which is the same year that John Wick was made. Yeah, and they don't look like they're from the same century. No, never mind the same year. No. So, do you think part of the overall look, feel, style, aesthetic of Bond is that old-fashioned, classic Hollywood shot, reaction shot, the very bread and butter? Edit? I'm, I'm doing. I sound like I'm doing it down. And I'm not. No, but do you, do you know what I mean? Does it? I do know what you mean, but I think <clears throat> there is a difference. There is that. Skyfall is directed by someone who's worked in theatre, mm-hmm. pre- pretty much exclusively, apart from you know when you hit American Beauty and so on. Yeah. Whereas John Wick is directed by two stunt coordinators. Yeah. And it shows, and yes. I and I think it has. John Wick's been another one of those sort of touchstone moments where a lot of films have gone, oh, hang on, let's do that. Yeah. Um, but then I then I you watch something like uh, Chris McQuarrie's Mission Impossible films, mm-hmm. and you think, well, that's what Bond should be doing. Yeah. Um, and I think that Skyfall is a beautiful meeting in the middle of aesthetics because you have, as you say, fairly, fairly simple direction. Not simple, but, you know, fairly mm-hmm. standard. But then you have Deakins just running in, gilding it. Yeah. Uh, with the, you know, the, the ultimate, De- one of the best, my favorite Deakins shots is the Shanghai sequence. Yeah. I mean, even if you start out him and just having the swim, the way the camera comes in. Yeah. And then, of course, with the neon background when he's checking on the um, sniper. Mm-hmm. It's That's just extraordinary. The, the one that I love, hmm. which is, it's almost like one of those beautiful Spielberg hmm. invisible one shots. Yes. Um, and it's, the, it's, it's what's actually quite a showy shot. But not for the reason you think. It's Silver's first entrance. Yes. And obviously it's an actor's shot because we're allowing uh, Javier Bardem to come in and dominate the film and dominate the scene. And again, a theatrical director. Yes, yeah. Oh, this is very definitely an actor's film, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, But it's the beautiful way that the camera moves down to bring us into Bond's position. And allow, and then keeps Silver coming. I'm waving my hands around like people can see here, <laughs> and allows Silver to come in, yeah. and and dominate the entire screen. And the effect of that on a big cinema screen. Yeah. But he stays in the same place in the frame, mm-hmm. the whole way through. And the camera move is so slow, you don't realise it's happened. Beautifully until acted as well, by the way. I I. I cannot begin to explain how much I love Bardem's performance in this. Yeah. I, he is just phenomenal. I, I, I have to admit, though, I do love his performance. And this is me being picky over something <laughs> cosmetic. I do wish they hadn't dyed his hair blonde. Do you think that's to re... For two reasons. One... Mm. Because that thick mane of hair that he has, mm. if they'd left it black, it looks too simple, similar to No Country for Old Men. Yes, I suppose so. With that so. big helmet of black. But is it not also mm. to emphasise the 
the similarity with Bond because obviously there was that the big two deal sides about, of the coin. Yeah, the mirroring yeah. again. Yeah, like they do with the clothes where he's wearing a light jacket, where Bond's wearing a black jacket, etc., mm-hmm. etc. Mm-hmm. No, I think that is probably it, but it bothers me because it looks like a bad dye job. It, it does. It does. Yeah. It does. Mm. Um, yeah. No. But how far would you agree? that a Bond film lives or dies on the quality of its bad guy performance. I I think it's 100% true. Yeah. Because the baddie has to be memorable. I mean, you can think of some Bond films where the baddie's not particularly memorable mm. and it feels anticlimactic at the end. And yeah. it's sometimes saved by some great stunts. Like Octopussy, for instance, Louis Jordan yeah. isn't the most exciting bad guy, but the plane sequence is incredibly memorable. Yeah. Uh, with the man gets twanged in the face with an aerial... Uh, but then you think of films like Goldfinger where the ending is actually if you think about it quite weak yeah but his performance I mean I know he's dubbed but his uh, presence is so powerful the main reason I was thinking about that was thinking about bad die jobs and obviously I was thinking of Christopher Walken he's got a good die job though (laughs) A View to a Kill which in in many ways is, is not great no. but is saved by a truly insane performance by Christopher Walken. That's another great underlining example of if you've got a good villain, mm. you can get over the line, even when your leading man is 58 years old. <laughs> and and looks like man. he's been Ron-sealed. Yeah, he does, and needs a stuntman to sit down. Uh, it's, but, I, I, should, yeah. I, I was just going to say, we've got to have the conversation, I suppose. We might as well do it now. Mm-hmm. And this is something that after I've forced my... Uh, my film study students to watch a lot of old Bonds. I ask them the question, and I'll tell oh. you what they say in a minute. Yeah, but come on, who's who's your favourite? Who's my who's favourite Bond? Favorite? Yeah, Timothy Dalton. Good man, good man, <laughs> good man. Yes, yeah. because I, um, I, as a kid that grew up with eighties action movies, yeah, uh, License to Kill for me is just a beautiful. As I say yeah. again, Bond mirroring what the culture of what's going on around him. As the yeah. same with Moonraker and Star Wars, mm. License to Kill is going. Oh, all these movies that are out now about shooting and drug smuggling. Let's do one of them. But mm. let's make it like Rashomon because we're really clever. <laughs> um, I, um, I, I love Dalton. He's my favourite without a shadow yeah. of a doubt. But if I want to be cheered up, mm-hmm. I'm going to put on a Roger. Exactly. Same here. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, th- I think, uh, and I think if you want to be cheered up and also get a bit of Connery, mm. uh, I'd say Brosnan because he's like a someone. Yeah. Someone put the, those teleporters from the fly and put Connery <laughs> and Roger Moore in them, and you get Dalton because you get this suave, yeah. smooth-looking man. He's occasionally also, brutal, yeah. Occasionally brutal, but he's also got a really cheeky sense of humour. Mm. Um, yeah. I. I always felt that Brosnan... I mean, this is weird, because you could say this about all Bonds, Mm. but I always felt like Brosnan never quite got the material he deserved. And I I say this as someone who really liked The World Is Not Enough and actually quite likes Die Another Day. Yeah. But Uh, I think GoldenEye's a hell of a debut. mm. I think it's one of the most perfect Bond films. Yeah. Tomorrow Never Dies, weak villain. Mm -hmm. Weekend. Yes, yeah, uh, and really loved, long ending as well. And Jonathan Price is such a good actor. Yeah, and if you look at things like Something Wicked This Way comes, he can mm. he can play an absolutely chilling villain. Yeah. So what he was doing there, I have no idea. He was a last minute replacement because it was going to be Anthony Hopkins. Really, I didn't yeah. know that. He he was he, he even came to set for a couple of days and then he left because it was one of those writing writer strike deals again. Uh. It was a bit chaotic. And he decided to leave, so they pulled in Jonathan Price. I'd love to see that film with Anthony Hopkins mm. as the villain. Imagine the amount of hamming he'd do. It'd be like, <laughs> it'd be like a, a bomb in a pig farm. Do you? This is a, this is interesting. Do you think mm. that part of the the feel of Bond, the aesthetic of Bond, is the idea that everybody around your central actor has to be playing it bigger than life, hamming it up for the this Bond universe and you rely on your Bond to hold it together like a ringmaster is that yeah yeah I do but you also get <clears throat> that that is true but you also get with the Roger era mm. where everybody is bit, is playing it with a bit of a dig in the ribs tongue yeah. in cheek and he is also leading that because you have to it's like why the living daylights doesn't quite feel like it's 100% written for Dalton yeah 
There's bits it's got in that it. like nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Exactly, yeah. yeah. There's bits in it where he's forced to do one-liners and you just think, he's not comfortable with this. Whereas in yeah. License to Kill, I think he does one joke and that's yeah. probably just because they made him do it. Um, I found but, it yeah. interesting that in Skyfall they have what feels to me like a very Roger Moore moment for... Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, I just went a bit Timothy Dalton there. Very Roger Moore moment. No way, trouble. Um, where he runs up the back of the Komodo dragon. Yes. And that feels very Roger. Also, his first meeting with Q. Yes. That feels yeah. like a Roger moment. And he does play that very well. I yeah. always worry about Daniel Craig <clears throat> in terms of comedy, but I always felt, I always feel that Inspector, because he knows, or he knew, it was his last film, mm. he's really having fun with it, which is such yeah. a shame because it's such a, it's such a weak film in terms of what happens. But the scene where he goes to um, the guy's funeral... Yeah, and Monica Bellucci's there, and those security guards are watching him, and he just does that smile and a cheeky wave. Mm. You just think, oh, he's having fun. It's and that was that was the main thing when I did, totally digressing away. But when mm. I watched Knives Out, mm. seeing Daniel Craig mm. enjoying himself in a film yeah. is a totally different experience to the joyless slog that he seems to have had yeah. playing Bond. Yeah. I mean, he didn't finish Knives Out and say he'd rather slit his wrists than play Benoit Blanc again, did he? No. I, I wonder if he kind of wishes he'd turned it down. Because I, I get the feeling that Daniel Craig is one of those people who's a, um, he's a character actor trapped in a leading man's body. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's always much happier when he's doing something strange. Like, was that Logan Lucky? Yeah. Not a great film, but he's having the time of his life mm. in that. Um, so yeah, I think you're right. I think he's been cursed with the fact that he is rather dashing, um, <laughs> much like much like you and me. Oh, much like ourselves, yeah. You're much bigger on music than I am. I'm musically uh, totally illiterate, right? So at this point, I'm just gonna. I mean, obviously, I'm aware of what they do in Skyfall, where they build the Bond theme back element by element for the big finish when Bond's mm. basically fully resurrected, uh-huh. but. Music is such a big part of Bond. Hmm. Can you can you talk about that at all? <clears throat> well, it's the uh, it's it's such a huge part of him because if you look at the early films in particular, Doctor No, the very first one, hmm. uh, it's not scored by Barry Barry John Barry. Sorry, John Barry famously it gets credited with the Bond theme, but obviously it's written by a guy called Monty Norman. Yeah, uh, who was who was basically asked to do the film and then pinched a tune he'd written for a musical he was working on that didn't get made. <laughs> Um, so he used that and, and changed it and then of course John Barry got hold of it because he was very famous for doing big band tunes Yeah, he then changed it completely he reorchestrated it and made it what it is the big brassy thing so they gave him the gig from In From Russia With Love onwards and he was mainly around when he wasn't being a tax, tax exile when other people <laughs> took over because in the 70s the tax rates were so ridiculous that a lot of mm. people left the UK and he was one of them um, but his his thing, his uh, uh, approach to Bond was that it was very much a sort of CD brass, almost like a kind of peep show approach, mm. but mixed with these haunting sweeping strings. And then as it progresses through the films, as you get to like Goldfinger, and then you get to something like Diamonds Are Forever, he's just finding his feet. And then you hear something like uh, the, the, my favourite. Bond soundtrack is um, on a Majesty's Secret Service mm-hmm. because he is just at his peak in terms of his powers of what he wants to do with Bond. It has some of the most beautiful cues. He writes, he bravely goes for the opening credits where it's an instrumental, which works beautifully. Yeah. Because then in his back pocket, he had a song called We Have All the Time in the World, which he mm. got his hero, Louis Armstrong, to sing. And again, it's just beautiful. And it just it's just a strange marriage of this hard-nosed spy but accompanied by this jazz musician who can somehow just pour out reams of velvet strings and and he obviously the couple he didn't do one of my other favorite scores is live and let die which was george martin Mm. where he decided that because it was very much a film that's basically riding on the back of the black exploitation uh, 
thing that was happening in the early 70s he decided he'd just make the score a black exploitation score score mm. so it's very evocative of that era it's very funky um with lots of wah-wahs and all sorts <laughs> and then you get marvin hamlish coming in for the spy who loved me and if you listen if you watch the spy who loved me the very first action sequence sequence in it um he admitted at the time and subsequently that he really liked a bg song you should be dancing <laughs> so he just went i'm gonna turn that into a bomb theme and if you listen it's got that do 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 bit in it because wow. he just loved it so much and then as you move on um <clears throat> john barry does a couple john bill conti from rocky does for your eyes only and it's bonkers uh, it's like a disco soundtrack and then barry comes back for a few and brings it all back down to earth with his cues and then License to Kill, because it's the action film, because we're mirroring what's going on in the world of action. Michael Kamen comes in, who did Die Hard, Lethal Weapon, all these things. He only really wrote one score, and it's mm. and again, it's the same one. And then David Arnold comes in, who uh, had sort of uh, great success with the uh, Roland Emmerich guys, with Stargate, Godzilla, Independence Day, etc. So he comes in, and um, he, he starts from Tomorrow Never Dies onwards. And again, he just is beautifully... Uh, just possessed by the spirit of Barry because mm. he's a huge fan but he's also introducing little electronic elements that he also is a fan of um, and then when you, by the time you get to Skyfall which Quantum of Solace and Casino Royale were David Arnold scores and they're very pretty and nice and then you get to Skyfall it's a guy called Thomas Newman who's always working with um, I've forgotten his name Sam Mendes. Sam Mendes, thank you. I'd, I'd erased him from my memory. Uh, and, and, and again, and again, Thomas Newman is fairly uh, derivative of his work, but he pulls some amazing scores out of the queue, uh, cues out of the bag, not cue as in queue. Um, for Ben Wishaw in a bag, get out. Exactly. Yeah, that's Paddington, isn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah, he does thing. There's a couple of cues called um, Severine which is this beautiful piece of music. And there's one called Komodo Dragon, which is the beautiful moment where Bond is arriving mm. to the casino, which, incredibly, is a set at Pinewood. I know, I know. <laughs> we, we, we've, we've looked at that sequence and mm. just genuinely freeze-framing it and trying mm. to figure out. Just incredible. Yeah, it's just... I, I mean, you, I knew, you know, you, know the, you remember the stage is big, but you forget how big it is that they once housed mm. three life-size submarines. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> did you know the, the Kubrick fact about Bond? I did that he rang mm. after um, after the Spy Who Loved Me. Uh, During well, they rang. rang him. Oh, I thought it was the other way around. I thought he no. rang them to ask about the lighting. No, so Ken, Ken Adams Adam rang him to ask Strange about the mirroring, right? Yeah, because Ken Adams famously built the war room from Doctor Strange Love, which yeah. is how every war room looks now in films. Um, yeah, and the, the cinematographer just could not light that set. He was struggling with it. So Ken Adam rang in a favour because Kubrick, before he was a director, of course, was yeah. an incredible photographer. So he came in and let it. So when you're watching the submarine unveiling, when they go into the, well, I can't remember what the boat's called now, when they go inside that tanker and you see those submarines yeah. beautifully lit, that's a Kubrick. Um, but yeah, that, that's set, you know the Bond stage is that big. I mean, when you see mm. him coming on that boat and you just, you're not for a minute would you think that's a set. No. And it's the way it's shot by Deakins with those... Those but Deacons, dragons. Oh. Deacons is incredible, and he does it in Blade Runner twenty forty nine as well. Oh, He's yeah. incredible at making and close sets feel mm. infinite. Yeah, it's and, and um, that Jesse James film he did where it was like the bank robbery at the beginning. They all look like ghosts. It's so mm. it's so darkly lit, but also brightly lit. It's incredible. But yeah, Blade Runner's own again. He's playing with neon and lights and all sorts yeah. in that as well so skyfall almost feels like him sort of running that process through his mind with the the fight with the neon in the background mm. oh. <laughs> see mm. you're starting to actually feel as though you might actually like skyfall now aren't you no oh, no i don't <laughs> I, I like i like elements of it i like elements of it i just don't think it's a bond film Interesting. Go on, because this is right. This gets to the. This gets to some quite interesting stuff. Mm. I'll simply say to my students, be very careful with this. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> right. I've brought this guy to fine. talk to you. He's wrong. <laughs> so, <laughs> go on. Tell, I tell you what. Let's mm. start from the basics. Tell us mm. what to you is a makes a Bond film, and then we'll talk about why Skyfall isn't. Okay. Well, what makes a Bond film usually, in my mind, is that you have the pre-credit sequence which is a, a reintroduction to Bond after a few, a couple of years away. 
He'll do something death-defying and amazing, having no effect on the plot. Mm-hmm. It's completely, it's a closed shop, what he does. We mm-hmm. get the beautiful opening credits, then we see something bad happen. Then Bond comes in M's office, he's told what's going to happen, and then the film really begins and he goes out on an adventure, you know, he'll fly to India or he'll go to uh, somewhere in Eastern Europe and so on and so forth. Whereas Skyfall uh, begins with the plot and it starts from that point and then goes all, mm-hmm. the, all the way to the end and nothing... I mean, Bond makes mistakes all the way along. He moans most of the time about how he's too <laughs> old and it just feels like rather than a Bond film, it's like a it's a midlife crisis film. Mm-hmm. It's a man who's fallen the wrong side of 40 and would rather be buying a sofa. You know, <laughs> or walking past the M&S window and going, that cardigan's nice. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel... <laughs> it doesn't he, do, feel he wears like, a jumper, doesn't he, when he's in he the does. hotel in Shanghai. And he looks very dashing. He shouldn't have shaved <laughs> that beard off as well. No, they, they do a fantastic job. But we, we've talked about the... I say we, not you and me, me, no, me and sure. the students. But yeah. we, we've talked about the unshaven thing because that's a big part of him getting back to being Bond. Yeah. Because they, they deconstruct him and mm-hmm. have him living in the shack on the... Uh, and he looks unshaven and rough. And how you make Daniel Craig look rough is mm. a miracle of modern mm. mise-en-scene. It reminds me of... Um, do you know the film Logan, which no one should have watched, by the way? Cause it's st- do you, believe it or not, I've still never seen it. Oh, OK. Well, all the way through that film, he has a big, bushy beard. Yeah, okay. and he's old. It's basically old man Logan. This story. Yeah, and there's a certain point in the film where he has to help these children out to get them over the border so they can be free. And he and he is asleep, and they come in because they know him from the comic books. It's very meta. Yeah, and they shave him while he's asleep, and when he wakes up, he's got the iconic yeah the Wolverine chops, yeah the chops yeah, and it's from that point onwards he rediscovers who he is. Mm. And and he becomes the hero again for one last time. Yeah, and it, it always reminded me of that in Skyfall. That it's very much now I am Bond. Bond. Again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so if we if we try and boil it down in essence, then what would you mm. say? Because Bond is very much its own subgenre of the thriller. Yeah. It has its own rules. It has yeah. its own, you know. So what would you say are the, the non-negotiables, to use modern management speak? What are the things that a Bond movie must have? Peril, mm-hmm. which are quite a few of the Craig films don't necessarily have. Yeah. Like Quantum of Solace is about water. Yeah. Which isn't very exciting. Um, where, which is why No Time to Die is slightly mouth-watering because there's a moment in the trailer where someone says millions will die and you think, that hasn't <laughs> happened in a Craig film yet yeah. you, had a, you had a casino match and you had water and then Skyfall, it was one man trying to kill one woman mm-hmm. and Spectre Which Bond, he succeeds in doing, let us yes, not forget because of Bond, by the way <laughs> he, He's supposed to leave digital breadcrumbs, right? He's, there's no yeah. reason why he couldn't have stopped for a Burger King right? <laughs> uh, Premier Inn other other <laughs> hotels are available, and could have Instagrammed himself saying stopping for a burger with M before we go to Skyfall, right? <laughs> and then dropped her off at the Premier Inn, and then driven to Skyfall, mm-hmm. and then she'd still be alive. But no, he he takes her there, and and obviously they they have their own Home Alone, Be Kind Rewind sequence with with not Sean Connery, with not Sean Connery, yeah, and Albert Finney bizarrely, yeah. Yeah, um, but yeah, I, I you would think that if you decided not—sorry, just as an aside here—if mm-hmm. you'd actually written the script and then decided not to ask Sean Connery, you mm. think you'd have rewritten the character to make it a bit less obvious that it was supposed to be <laughs> yeah. Sean Connery. Mm. That would have it's been awful, in- though, if he'd have been in it. I'd have been so angry. <laughs> <laughs> I would genuinely have been really angry. And if, if they could—they could have had uh, Roger Moore as the butler, and yeah. 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 Uh, anyway, I, sorry, I, I, I'm, I'm yeah. distracting mm. myself now. Mm. So, mm. go on. Uh, it's got to have peril. It's got to have peril. There's got to be a, a huge stake. I mean, if you think about the best Bond films, there's something massive riding on it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> You've got to be <clears throat> interested in Bond himself, which most mm-hmm. of them always manage to achieve. Um, <clears throat> and there's got to be a sense of actually, <clears throat> at the end of the film, knowing that he saved the world. Mm-hmm. Um, what about... With um, style oh, as well. Say that again? In style as well, right. So let's let's bring it down and start looking at the style. What are the elements of the visual style for Bond? What what if we were doing like a checklist here? So cars, obviously. The gun barrel at the beginning has mm-hmm. to be there. I think I'm a big purist for that. <clears throat> I don't mind so much for Skyfall because it's the 50th anniversary, and as we discussed earlier, Deakins kind of does that in an interesting yeah. way. 
but console solace opening straight after casino realm and sticking the barrel at the end and having it run so quickly yeah it's, it's discombobulating um but i'd like to have the gun barrel at the beginning with the traditional cue and the music and the the blood dripping down the screen yeah um and the song has to be good as well importantly mm -hmm. because the best films incorporate the song into the soundtrack yes in the score yeah thomas newman does in the komodo dragon sequence it's yeah. a really beautiful uh evoc 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 i can't speak <laughs> rendition Let's evocation rendition. thank you evocation well we don't need no um <laughs> and it has to be <clears throat> it should fall within a particular template of mission debriefing mm -hmm. going out on the mission picking up all the clues along the way but then we also have to do a bit of a clumbo and have mm -hmm. a look at what the villain's up to and quite often in craig films in particular we meet the villain fairly early on and it's not i mean apart from skyfall actually i'll say that mm. uh, even though his what he does later on is annoys me a lot because it's <clears throat> excuse me there were three films that came out around that period that used the exact same plot structure. Yeah. Dark Knight, Avengers, Skyfall. Mm. Baddy gets caught on purpose so he yeah. can then do his next plan. And Silver's plan makes no sense in terms of logistics. I mean, if, he, if he'd have survived at the end, if I was like FedEx, I'd have hired him. <laughs> because the trains arrives pinpoint in time and location through the wall. Um... Anyway. Are you suggesting that the tube is not reliable, John? No, no, the tube is very reliable, but um, <laughs> not for dropping on a spy's head. Um, but yeah, you have to have, yeah. So you have you, you meet Bond. He goes out. He picks up clues. We see a bit what the villain's up to, and then at the end, <clears throat> you know, A and B meet and mm. explosion. <clears throat> yeah. I'm not saying it always has to be like that, but it has to sort of feel like that. And I think that Skyfall plays with that. Mm -hmm. but I don't think successfully because yeah. for Silver's plan to be at all logical it relies on a lot of luck uh, and, and I don't think Silver spends five minutes telling Bond about how he can press a button and his trousers will fall down, you know that sort of thing Yeah. and then five minutes later he travels all the way to London to get caught to then walk into a room and try and shoot M in the face when he could have just blown up the toilet when she was in there, you know what I mean it's just in his in his defence though, mm. he does get into the room and he does nearly shoot her in the face. It mm. almost works, and then yes. he does later on kill her. So mm. in terms of Bond villain plans, he does better than pretty much anybody else. Mm. I don't know. I just I just think there's not the the stakes aren't there in Skyfall. It doesn't. No, feel... I I agree. It's mm. it's very much it's a, because it's the fiftieth anniversary. They decide to make it about Bond. Which the two and, previous films were as well. Yeah, and they, they focus in too much on the character. It's almost like, I suppose, if, if we go back to the institutional thing, hmm. it's almost like they felt like they can't compete with Mission Impossible on yeah. budget. They can't compete with Bourne on style, because if they hmm. make it too alien, they lose their core audience. Hmm. So what do they have? Well, they have the character of Bond. Hmm. So let's lean into that. And I'm hoping they've kind of got it out of their system now. And they know, go back to doing big, dumb... You mean after the new one? Yeah. Yeah. Because it, it very much feels to me like the, the Daniel Craig films are going to feel like a unit. Yeah, ring-fenced. Yeah. yeah, and they'll be their own thing. And I reckon we're going to see something much more like um, the Pierce Brosnan reboot, oh, where it's I just, so. you know the name, you know the number, bang, off we go. Mm. Um, so... I suppose the last thing hmm. is, what do you think the audience is supposed to get out of Bond? Because one of, one of the things we're always talking about in film studies is, what's the expected audience response? So, you know, what's that edit supposed to do? What's that bit of design supposed to communicate to the audience? How, how, is, how is an audience supposed to feel about a Bond movie? Well, the first and foremost, and that's been there since its inception is the escapism fact mm -hmm. is that you are living vicariously through a person that's pretty much indestructible and can do anything yeah. which is quite exhilarating as a film going experience and the reason why marvel are doing so well right now and the superhero boom is that you can watch someone fly and spin webs and all those all sorts it's quite exciting for the imagination and the eye and everything 
but also <clears throat> you can it's 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 aspirational as well which is mm-hmm. i think another one of the things that people like about it is that you know there's a sense of style as we discussed earlier but there's also the fact that this guy is just really cool yeah um um, and has been since year dot. Um, no, I'm, I'm glad you used the word cool because it's something we mm. talk about, but you can't. It's very difficult to explain in an exam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just spell it with a K. <laughs> um, just as an aside, this is mm. totally unrelated to Bond, but I don't mm. know if you've noticed because you're on of an age with me, mm. but the, after the last sort of like 10 years of Marvel movies and. Uh, all of that stuff. It's made the Jedi in Star Wars rubbish. Absolutely right. Oh, and by the way, as another aside, this will be one for your film studies class, if you're talking about Bond. Go on then. Captain America the Winter Soldier mm-hmm. is a remake of Goldeneye discussed. No, interesting, because I would go it's um, it's all the President's Men and Three mm. Days of the Condor. That, yes, that's absolutely. They're going for that, even by casting Robert Redford. No, Absolutely. but I'm now thinking about the plot, and hmm. yes, yes. But if you think of the Winter Soldier as Alec Trevelyan, yes, and um, Bond as Captain America, yeah, and there's even the, a big satellite dish at the end. Yeah, instead of instead of the satellite, you've got the carriers. The yeah. carrier, sorry, yeah. yeah, yeah. It just I came. I, I remember going into that film, and this was well, I can't remember what number film that was in terms of the the. the the chain of Marvel films. Um, I remember going into that and thinking, I think it came out after Thor The Dark World, I think, and I was a bit... Yeah. I didn't like that. No, I remember no, going in good. thinking, oh, God, this is going to be another by-numbers Marvel film. And mm. I was sitting there and I just suddenly thought, oh, God, this is Goldeneye. I love mm. this. And the action's so well done. And you can see why the Russos were then handed the yeah. keys, because they just got it. Yeah. It, um, it, I find the Captain America films very, very interesting because obviously each mm. one plays with a different genre. You've got a war mm. movie, 70s paranoid thriller, mm. superhero movie, mm. uh, which is Civil War, which yeah. is made very much as a comic book movie. Yeah. And then into uh, the Avengers, which... And the genius of the Russo brothers there is, of mm. course, going, no, we'll make it the bad guy story. Oh. We'll tell this. We'll tell it from the point of view of the villain because that's the only way we can cram all the other characters in by having them react to that and make them feel as though they've been served. It's brilliant. Infinity War is my favourite one by far. I think it's faultless, yeah. and it reminds me in terms of the aesthetic feel of it of Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. In terms of um, everything, everything goes wrong. Everything yeah. goes wrong, and at the ending, you're just left thinking, "Oh God." And not a film hasn't done that to me since Empire Strikes Back. And I yeah. just remember, I think I saw Infinity War like three times because I just thought it's so perfectly done and so perfectly written. As you yeah. say, there's a lot of characters in that, but it doesn't yeah. feel like it. Whereas I think Endgame has got the opposite problem, where there's not enough characters in it. And my mm. God, is it baggy at times. Yeah, um, it, you could easily cut. You could easily cut 20 minutes, half an hour out of Endgame, mm. whereas I think you can't lose a frame from Infinity no. War. No, it's so perfect. I think if you'd have added any more, it would have probably ruined it slightly if you'd mm-hmm. taken any out. Ruined it. It's a perfect film um, in terms of stakes, in terms of the heroes involved. Well, see if and we the end baddie with... is incredible. Oh, what a performance. It's mm. just, it's just, just great. And mm. even though it's one of those ones where even though he is absolutely, totally wrong and completely and utterly mental mm-hmm. he's still sympathetic because yeah. he believes he's the hero of his own story yeah his whole speech about the balance is so good yeah and the fact that he's doing something which is difficult and he's going this is this is the hard road but i'm willing to do it because mm. nobody else is it's very clever yes absolutely. well you go if they make superheroes the genre you'll have to come back and we'll talk about those yeah well again though that's another example of what we mentioned earlier about if you've got a good villain Mm. And a well-written film, it sticks in your mind. That's very true. Um, mm. Yeah, I'm just thinking of Guardians of the Galaxy two, which leans very heavily on the charm of Kurt Russell to it paper does. over some uh, <laughs> some plot issues. Yeah, that's quite a struggle to sit through. Whereas the first one's pretty much perfect. The first one, the first one, the second one, I adore because of Michael Rooker, who is mm-hmm. one of my favourite actors of all time. Mary and Poppins, I w- y'all. <laughs> I agree. I, I've loved him since JFK, and yeah. I hadn't. Actually, I was too young to see Henry, obviously. Obviously, which, which no one should watch. Oh God, no, 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 no. no. Um. 
Just pretend you didn't hear that, students. That's oh, yeah. what I feel. Watch you JFK, want to be. though. That's very interesting. Yeah, definitely watch JFK. Very mm. good. Um, incidentally, the, do you know what the Year Nines are doing next, then? You'll like this. No, go on. They already know, so I can tell you when they listen mm. to this. Mm. Um, because we found ourselves in a weird position of not being in school, so we can't do what we were normally going to do, yeah. which is they'd be making their own films. Wow. Uh, we're going to do a comparison of Seven Samurai and Captain America and how they handle heroism. Oh, that's very good. So that should be nice. Looking forward mm. to that. Mm. That's, that's, what a good teacher you've got here. <laughs> and I didn't even have to pay him to say that. You know what? The, the funny thing is, is that as I've got older and I've become more um, film literate in terms of you know expanding my mind to other yeah. genres and everything, oh, it makes me want to go back and do film studies. I, I would have killed to have had it as a GCSE. Mm. And yeah, I yeah. didn't. Yeah. I had it at media co- when I went to media and did media production. We had it there, yeah, uh, which was great because we had. I, I wish I could remember his name, but he was someone who had written quite a few episodes of the Avengers, mm. the Laurie Johnson Avengers, obviously not. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but it was fascinating because we had to watch Shane, and I remember thinking at the time, "Oh, why are you watching Shane?" Yeah, and now you think about it, you think, "Oh, yeah, it's a, a allegory." The one, the one I like is that. Uh, my students, I keep saying, right, we're going to watch, we're going to watch a film now. They go, no, I don't want to watch that. I don't want to watch that. And they come to the end of it and just go, oh, that was really good. Yeah. Spirited Away is a good one for that. District oh. Nine, mm. and then the one that surprised me when I was putting the course together, which is a shadow of a doubt, the best film we watch, Whiplash. Mm. Oh. Which just blows me away every single time. It actually makes me feel physically ill mm. with the tension. Yeah, and what a performance in that as well. I know. Which and worryingly, I watched that and just went, "That's me when I'm teaching." <laughs> oh, they get bloody hands from typing, though, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you very yeah. much for coming in and helping us. I really appreciate that, John. Oh, that's it's my, absolutely my pleasure. Um, someone recently told me, and I was a bit worried by this not long ago, and it actually made me quite choked up that a Smash Bros. episode was used in a film studies lesson. So um, <laughs> the, the chance to be involved in any kind of film studies, as I mentioned before, is something I always wanted to do. So thank you so much for letting me appear it's all right and the last question hmm. if you could be bond and live through any one of the films yeah which one would it be oh that's a great question you know what i'm gonna say the spy love me yeah because he gets that lotus and i love that <laughs> lotus and it goes underwater. <laughs> and um, he also gets to ride a very natty jet ski at the end. So. You can tell we're the same age. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's everybody who was born around that little, sort of like two or three year period in the mid-70s. Mm-hmm. I want a Lotus Esprit that goes underwater. Yeah. yeah. The Aston Martin is fine, but the Lotus is more exciting, I think. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Well, thank you. And everybody else, thank you for listening. Good luck in your exams. Good luck in all your exams. You know, study hard and stay in school. <laughs> you sound like the whole kid <laughs> Listen to your mum! <laughs> Thank you very much, everybody. Nothing more.